You know, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Satisfaction Guaranteed. Satisfaction Guaranteed. You know, life is pretty uncertain. There's a lot of things that go on. There's a lot of events that happen. There's a lot of health issues and economic issues and job issues and relationship issues. And it can be uncertain. But we have a chance to live in a very certain way. We have a chance to depend upon the satisfaction guaranteed by Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at in John chapters 14 through 16 is the guarantees that he gives us in life and living. You know, we did this last week, but just to make sure we've got the context here, as we look at uh, satisfaction guaranteed, chapters 14 through 16, let's make sure we understand a little bit of where these disciples were coming from that were being spoken to, okay? John chapter 13, we have a moment in time where the disciples are, they're pretty excited. They're, they're pretty uh, happy with the way things are going. There's been a lot of change that's been taking place. There's been miracle after miracle. There's been heart after heart. There's been moment after moment where they could just say, wow, did you see that? Wow, did you see that? And all I could imagine of their future was that they could just be thinking, what could be next? And then John chapter 13 hits them. And what they were told is probably nothing like what they imagined. They were told, Judas, you're going to betray. You're going to end up walking out. And, and as Judas stands up and basically has a little temper tantrum and storms away and walks away, the money changer of the 12 just walked out. And then Jesus says, I want you to understand, I'm going somewhere. And where I'm going, you can't follow. I'm going away. And so all of a sudden, the center of this thing is rocked. And then Peter is challenged with, hey, I know you're the impetuous, wild leader type personality, but you're going to deny me three times. And within a moment, all the hopes, all the dreams, all the fears of what could be end up turning into our money changer left, our emotional, passionate leader walked out, and the center of who we are said we can't follow with them. What is going to happen next? It's in that moment that Jesus starts with John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus gives us some promises in John 14 through 16. Things we can latch onto, guarantees that we can be standing on. So that as we live life, while the uncertainty around us may be huge, we have certainty in our God. We're going to look at John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31 today, where he's specifically answering this question. How do I live confidently until the bodily return of Christ? How do I live confidently until the bodily return of Christ? That's the question we're answering. Ushers are going to be coming forward. We've got Bibles in their hands. We'd love to get one to you. We're just going to be walking verse by verse through this. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you, okay? Just raise your hand and be patient with us and we'll get one to you. Remember, we're answering the question, how do I live confidently until the bodily return of Christ? Last week, Jesus said, I'm going away. Now I'm going to prepare a place for you and there's prayer for you, but I'm going away. And in the midst of that, he says, hang on, there's more. That's what we're going to be looking at today. John 14, verses 15 to 31. First thing he says, you can count on the presence of the Almighty. Presence. Recognize that the Holy Spirit is in you. Recognize that the Holy Spirit is in you. 
You know, let's just walk through a few of these verses here. He says, starting right off, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is a phrase we're going to keep hearing, a challenge we're going to keep hearing throughout these chapters. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What he's saying is a true faith, a true belief, it's going to lead to actions that follow after me. I'm calling you not to a faith that's some mental assent of things. Yeah, I think I agree to that mentally. But something that affects you at the core of who you are. Something that says, if it's true, then what am I doing about it? If you love me, you're going to follow after me and obey my commands. Now he says in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will give you another helper. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know I just told you I'm leaving, and I know I'm calling you to obey my commands. Let me tell you, we got a plan. Here's the plan. We're sending a helper. Okay, now that word helper, literally it means someone to come alongside and give assistance. It, it could mean in the legal sense, like an advocate, an attorney. It could just mean in sort of a relational sense, like comforter, provider, trainer. But it means to come alongside. There is one who will come alongside. Who is this one? Maybe he's got a great human friend that he'll send to each of us. Is that what he means? Let's take a look. It says, there will be a helper. He'll be with you forever. Huh. Does, does that sound like a God trait or a people trait? He'll be with you forever. He'll be with you from now until all eternity. The helper. Well, tell us a little more. We still need to know more about our helper. I will. He says, verse 17, even the spirit of truth, spirit of truth, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, the Holy Spirit, we have the spirit of God Almighty. We have God is love. You know what? God is truth. The very character of who he is, the very center of who God stands for and what he's about. The spirit of truth. God's Holy Spirit with us. He says, the spirit of truth will be with you. Not just for a time here or there. He won't just come upon you and then go away. He will be with you forever. What a promise that the Almighty takes up a residence and a presence with us. He says, he will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Whom the world cannot receive. This is a really big deal. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit being with us, and we're going to talk about that preposition in just a minute, with. We're going to expound on it a little bit for now. With us. And, and we're told not only is he with us, but he's with us forever. And we're told he's with those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those who have said, I'm done living it my way. I'm done going after my own stuff. I am handing my life over to God Almighty. I need change. I realize he's calling me to something I cannot attain on my own. Lord, please forgive me. Use your shed blood on the, on the cross to replace what I owe. Take me. Change me. Move me. Make me a disciple of yours. That is who the Holy Spirit will come upon. He doesn't just come to the world at large. He comes to those who are trusting in him. Now it says, we have a helper. He's forever. He's a spirit of truth. He's not coming to the whole world, but to those who trust in him. The world hasn't even seen him or known him. Then he says, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be 
in you. You hear the prepositional switch? He dwells with you. You know, he's hanging around about you. He's here with as you go through struggles. He's guiding and directing a bit. You're seeing his power. You're seeing his change. You're seeing his move. He is with you. But more than that, he will be, future tense, in you. Do you hear the difference? He's with you, but he will be in you. God Almighty taking up residence in you, in me. Now he says will be to these disciples because they're hanging on until Jesus Christ dies, rises again from the dead. And then we have this moment in early Acts where the Holy Spirit comes mightily upon many. And at that point, they have the Holy Spirit in them. They are experiencing a presence of the Almighty with them, soon to be in them. And you have the presence, the ability to experience that same thing now. You can actually have the one who speaks and everything we know exists within you. How do you do that? How do you take the infinite and pour it into the finite? Do you know what I mean? Think of the, the privilege we have, but some of the confusion of that too, right? It's not that the whole of God is within us and now all of It's not that we're that big or that great. We just have a privilege of meeting the Almighty. And He knows your inner everything. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows what you need. He is right there with you. The Almighty, the Holy Spirit in you. If you trust Him as your Savior, trust Jesus as your Savior. Wow. Now that's a privilege. I mean, for us to simply say, you know what? I know someone. Really? Who do you know? You know, I know the governor of Illinois. Great. Or I know, you know, the mayor of this town. Great. Or I know the president of the United States. Great. I know the one who spoke and everything exists. And he literally not just lives with me, but in me. He speaks with me. He communicates with me. He gives me power and authority. He is moving in me. Wow. Do you know what I'm saying? Like all too often, we kind of quote our little Christian things we understand. Oh yeah, the Holy Spirit's in us. And we kind of move on. Like whatever. (laughs) Right? And we just forget about the awesome moment that that is. That we can actually experience the presence of God, not just around us or about us, but within us. Knowing every moment of us and moving with us. That we can become, as 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, the temple of God Almighty. Him in us. The miracle of his presence. Now that's a privilege. As he says, let not your heart be troubled. He's saying, guaranteed with you. Guaranteed with you. You have a helper. He'll be in you. Now he goes on. He says in verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 18 there. I will not leave you as orphans. You know, the literal Greek word there, it actually has kind of this orphan sound to it. So orphan isn't a bad word to put here, but it literally means comfortless, uncared for, left alone. I'm not going to leave you that way. I'm not just leaving and you're stuck on your own. As I leave, don't worry, we've got a plan. You're cared for. There's going to be someone with you. The Almighty is with you. He says, 
I will come to you. Jesus says this. Now, I want to be honest about this phrase here, this next section. It can be a little confusing. And we have to be a little careful with it. So I'm just going to tell you what my take is on it. Here we go. It says, Jesus says, I will come to you. Let a little while and the world will see me no more. But you, you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, this could mean a couple of things. And this is the confusion of it. When Jesus says, I'm coming, it could mean, hey, don't worry. When I die and rise from the dead, I'm going to see you again. Because that happened, right? He saw a number of the disciples, and especially the ones he's talking to right here. Could mean that. It could mean, you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you at Pentecost. And man, are you going to feel the power of God Almighty at work in you. Could mean that. It could mean, I'm coming again. The second coming of Christ. And his return triumphantly. It it could mean that too. I, I personally think, as you look at this, remember, we've got some pretty scared disciples. And they're looking for some moments of immediate help. And Jesus' phrase there, you look at the verse of, end of verse 19, he says, because I live, you also will live. He's saying, you need to know this. I'm alive. You need to understand this. I'm living. And because of it, you are. Do you understand? I live, so you live, you know? And in that moment, the disciples are like, you know, yeah, sure, I get it. And at the same time, they're kind of going, do you get that? You know what I mean? They're kind of saying, I'm not sure I understand the big point. Do you get the big point? I don't know. Do you understand? Uh Uh-huh. You know, like that's where they're at. And he's saying, look, it's a future thing you need to understand now. Just lock it into the memory. Trust me. I live, so you live. It's going to be very important in a short period of time. I really think he's saying, don't worry. I'm going to see you again. Right after I die and rise from the dead, I'm alive. You're going to see me. I'm coming back to you here. We're going to talk. Now, could it mean the other things too? Absolutely. I mean, we know that those other things are happening. I do believe Christ is promising in the midst the I'm alive thing. Let me make it clear to you. I'll come back to you. Not to everybody, but to you. Now he says in verse 20, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's simply saying this. There is going to be an unbelievable unity. There is going to be an unbelievable relationship. As I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you and you're in me, we are going to be relating to one another. Yes, we have a chance to know Jesus Christ, to know him rich, to know him powerful, to know him life-altering, world-changing God of the universe in us and with us. That's what we get to know. He says, the presence of the Almighty. It's an important promise for you to be standing on. Now he goes a little bit further. Verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay. Now some of you read that and you're like, what? And others of you go, oh, this sounds like works. Like, if I do, then he's going to love me. And then, then that's how the whole relationship starts. So maybe this is a proof that we only have a relationship with him through works. Is that what it is? No. Let's make sure we let Scripture modify Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved through, through faith. It's not of works. Otherwise, you could boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's not works, okay? So what does he mean when he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And if you love me, then I'll love you. He's saying this. 
a faith, a real faith, a truly engaging faith in me, it's going to change your heart. It's going to shape who you are. You're going to go after me. And I'm telling you, your passion for me and your love for me, it's going to be reciprocated. We are going to have an unbelievable relationship together. Come after me. Believe in me. Let your heart follow me and I will pour it out upon you. That's a relationship we have a chance to have. You know, we often say it like this at Harvest. Uh, you may have heard the phrase before. A faith that saves you is a faith that changes you. Okay? It's the same thing as in James chapter 2 when he says faith without works is dead. A real faith, a God-honoring, God-loving, God-centered, Him-priority, His-glory faith causes us to respond to Him and act in His presence. What do you want done here, Lord? You're in charge. To God be the glory. That's where our faith needs to center us. What do you want done, God? To you be the glory. That's all Jesus is saying here. Make sure you put him at the center. Run hard after him with your faith fully intact. Now, I love this part. This is uh, John writing, verse 23 or 22. He says, Judas, not Iscariot, okay? Because he just got done saying in chapter 13, Judas, you know, the loser, the one who was identified as the traitor, the one who ran out, like that Judas. Okay, so then he says, Judas, you know, not that one. Not the one we were just talking about. Not that guy, because he's not the one we want to be modeling after. The other Judas, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, uh, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? Like, I've watched you move. You do something, people see. That's, you know what he's saying? I mean, that's a big compliment, really. He's saying, come on. Every time I've seen you do something, you wow everyone around. How is this going to work where it's only to us? I don't get that. I don't understand. Well, it's a good question, but it's not supposed to be the question at the moment. He's a little distracted. And so Jesus gives him a little more directed answer. Jesus says to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He's saying, Look, I appreciate the question, but here's the focus. I'm going to be with you, and my Father's going to be with you. That's how. I'm going to actually be with you. We're coming to be with you. And the Holy Spirit, he'll be in you. You are going to have relationship with the Almighty. That's how. Do you see it? You are going to have a relationship with him. He actually uses the same word here as he used in John 14, verse 2. When he talks about this home, he said, and I will go to my father's house and I will be preparing a place for you, this home for you. It's that same word. He's saying, just like you're going to have a home eventually with the Father, you actually are going to have a home now because we're coming to make that home with you. Until then, home is in you. That's where we're at. The Almighty having a relationship with us now. That's a privilege. That's power. That's relationship. That's presence. You know, uh, this past week, my uh, youngest daughter, Alyssa, got sick. Uh, like really sick. And uh, we were over at the Morton Pumpkin Festival. My wife stayed home with her. And uh, I was with my parents and my older daughter. And I was sitting there, uh, just finished dinner. And I called up John and said, so how's she doing? She said, well, actually, she just spiked. She's at 104 and a half for a fever. 104 and a half. I said, that's it. You're done. We got to go to the hospital. Just jump in the car, pick me up. 
So Johnna gets in the car. She comes over. I left. I'm walking down the street. She picks me up. We jump in, and we go over to um, the local spot there and, and got her checked. And, you know, thank the Lord that the temperature came down in that period of time. It was only up for probably 20 minutes or so, and we got it down to like a 102, 101 and a half. And she was, I don't know how she wasn't delirious. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I've had a 103 something and like the room is changing colors and things are moving. You know what I mean? Like I'm delirious. She's at 104 and a half and she's holding conversations with me. I don't know how she did that. We get home that night and she stayed in bed, you know, just kind of tried to recoup. And the next day she spiked another 104. And we ended up putting washcloths on her face and getting it, trying to get the temperature down. And she holds her hand out to me. Tears fill in her eyes. And she just says, Daddy, will you please just hold my hand? So I went over and I sat down with her and I grabbed a hold of her hand and she just started bawling, just crying as I held her and got every disease she had. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's one of those moments where you're like, you absolutely want to be there with them, holding them and you're going, and I need a shower now, you know? (laughs) And as I sat next to her and held her hand, she basically started to feel more at ease. Not because I could do anything, but just because I was there. That's what we get with our Father, with our God. That we at any moment, in any time, no matter what we're struggling with, can simply hold out our hand and he's right there with us. All we need to say is daddy. And he's there to hold our hand and to be with us through whatever. And the beauty of it is he actually can do something about it. He's not just holding your hand, his presence and his abilities in our lives. You know, all too often, we just don't practice the presence of God. We don't think about it. We just kind of live life. We live factually, but we don't live relationally and we miss it. You know, I was in a class uh, back in March, a spiritual disciplines class up at Moody, and they had us going through practicing various spiritual disciplines, and one of them was practicing the presence of God. And I got to tell you, I had never really been a part of this before. And uh, I shared with you guys back in April about it. Some of you may remember, but let's just do it again here, okay? This is what it looks like. Do me a favor. Just lay everything in your lap. Just let go of it in your lap, okay? And you're going to take your hands and just turn them upwards, I don't know why, because God's everywhere, but we face him up. Okay, whatever. It's something to do. It's a little different. Gives you a focus. I don't know. Okay, focus by facing him up and then just close your eyes. I'm just going to remind you of a few things. Our God is everywhere. And he is right here with you. He is right here here in you. Your God speaking with you. Just take a moment. In every moment of every day, we need to push out the noise and just experience him. Okay, you can open your eyes. You know, there's nothing mystical, magical 
There's nothing separate or dangerous or other about simply crowding out the noise of the world and stopping and just listening to him. What a great, you go through the word and then you write a little bit down of something you've learned and then just take a moment of quiet before him and see what he's talking to you about. Please hear me in this. If he comes away telling you to do something that's not biblical, that's not matching with his, it's not him. Like, don't, don't hear it, okay? Like, I'm not saying go have these magic moments where God has told me, he told me to rob a bank, so I did it, you know? Like, th- we're telling you what scripture says is what it's about. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit of what his role is in our life. But please be very careful as we take time to practice the presence of God, that you build a relationship with him, that you hear from him. He, the almighty, is in your life. He's right there with you. Experience him with all you've got. There is no greater privilege. There is no greater calming factor in your life than that. Okay? So that's first. The presence. Recognize. Second, the power. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach and remind you so that you can obey him. He brings power. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach and remind you so that you can obey him. Let's just walk through a little bit of this. Start in verse 24. He says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I want you to know this, guys. What I'm teaching you has authority. It's from God the Father. He is in charge, and this is what he's saying. Obey what Jesus is saying. It's from God the Father. Now he goes right into verse 25. He says, These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will... And then he has some things he's going to do. The helper, the Holy Spirit. So we've got names for him, right? The helper. The spirit of truth. He's going to last for all eternity. The Holy Spirit. All of this coming together so that you can experience a relationship with the Almighty that lasts for all eternity. It's a good thing, but sometimes it makes us cry. It's okay. When we wrestle with what God is doing with us, why in the world would he say this? Why would he say, note what he says here, that he teaches you all things and brings to remembrance all that I have said to you. So, so what? Why would he say that? Well, look back at verse 24. It says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's. It's about the words, right? Obey my words. Well, how do I know what your words are? The Holy Spirit's going to remind you. And he's going to teach you. Do you hear it structuring, coming together? The power of the Holy Spirit at work in you is that he's going to remind you and teach you. He's going to remind, you know, hey, remember, we've already gotten through this. You remember this thing you were reading? Remember this stuff you wrote down two weeks ago? Remember what you were struggling with last month? Remember this verse? Remember this passage? Remember this truth? Remember? It's about this word being brought to light in your life. It's about pouring through this word so that he can then have a chance to remind you of the word. It's not, well, I don't know. I know you took some time with that, writing it down and everything. That's great, but okay, talk to me, right? And he's like, I did. There's a letter. I, I need you to read it. And, and we're like, yeah, that's great, but talk to me. And he's like, that, I will. Did you read the letter? Do, do you know what I'm saying? That's where we're at with the Bible. That's what it's about. 
is we've got to see this as a letter from the Almighty, sharing with us and shaping us, helping us and changing us. And as we go into his letter, he gives us understanding of him, of the world, of me, of what needs to change. He literally is saying, get into the word so that I can get into you. I'm going to bring the word to light. I will, through the Holy Spirit. You will remember. You will be taught. What's taught mean? You know, like, I'm going to explain what it means so that you understand it. I'm going to help you grasp. My goal here is so that you grasp and recall and go after it with all you've got. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and me. God bringing to light. You have things that need to change. So do I. You know, our small groups, that's what we're all about. I used to always describe small groups when I was running them as, you know, those things we have to help us in our sticking points because everybody has one, you know? Like we're all walking along the sanctification path. We become saved and we're all trying to head to be more like him. And every one of us has something we're working with or wrestling with, something that needs to change. What's your sticking point? And small group is about rallying together as a group of people with sticking points and going, what do you need to work on, man? And me too. And how do we pray about that? And let's just lock arms and become more like him tomorrow than we do today. That's what it is. The Holy Spirit's saying, I want to lock arms with you. And I want to help you to understand what it is you need to recall, what it is you need to know and understand so that you can look more like him tomorrow than today. I want to help transform you from the inside out. I want to help renew your mind. I want to bring refreshing thought to you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You being impacted by the Almighty. Now that's privilege. That's what it's all about. You know, he says that he's going to teach and that he's going to bring to remembrance. Two very active roles. Are you allowing him to? A couple of things that maybe hinder the, the Spirit from speaking in your life. Here's three things. Why, why am I not hearing the Spirit talk? Okay, here's a couple possibilities. Number one, you're ignoring his whisper in your life. Ignoring the whisper. You know, in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 to 13, one, a, a great prophet is trying to meet with God and he's not in the huge wind and he's not in this great earthquake and he's not in this awesome fire, but he's in the whisper of the Almighty. The whisper of the Almighty. He whispers into your life. Why? It's actually a check with our will. Did you know that? As he, I mean, he could scream into your life. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever tried to get somebody's attention by screaming at him? It works. But are you really actually working with a heart and will that's working with you? Or did you just dominate to get the attention? He's whispering because it's about you coming back into alignment with him. How do we often miss him? Because we're ignoring the whisper. We're letting the rest of the noise of the earth drown out the very whisper of the Almighty. Don't get me wrong. He could speak anytime he wants and get your attention in a big way. But he chooses to use the whisper because it helps you in shaping your heart and your will to come back to him. Are you ignoring his whisper? Or are you hearing him speak with you regularly, often? He's whispering. Are you hearing it? Second thing, we might grieve him. You know, a couple different passages throughout Scripture, I'll talk about it, but, you know, it talks about corrupt communication, uh, man's wrath, um, evil thoughts, 
speaking ill of other people. Like oftentimes what we put on our lips, what we do with our hands, what we do with our feet puts us in a position where we are against the very character of God. And in that moment, we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit. He is not content as we are living our lives in a position of other than what God stands for. And in that moment, as we grieve him, the very almighty who has a whisper of promise, a whisper of hope, a whisper of challenge, a whisper of joy, a whisper of peace, a whisper of that, which is absolutely satisfying. We go, thanks anyway. I'm thinking about this really cool car or this awesome job or this relationship I'd love to have or this whatever, right? This thing, this stuff, this, do you know what I'm talking about? The junk of life that starts to take us over and distract us and we miss out on a relationship with the one who says, let there be light. And there was. Out of nothing he speaks and something comes. There is absolute satisfaction in him. And yet we miss it. We go our own way. We grieve him. And we start missing out on hearing his voice. So first we ignore him. Second, we grieve him. And the third one is it may even get so bad that we just start quenching him. We literally are reducing his power in our lives. Does it mean God loses power? Don't hear me wrong. Absolutely not. God remains all powerful, but he works with our will. He chooses not to just dictate and control, but to work with our will. And as our will moves away from him, we literally are basically taking the effect of him in our lives and reducing it. He is, if you will, quench. It's like throwing water on fire. The impact that he can make in your life is reduced. Are you experiencing a passion for him, a power for him? If not, sins in your life. I, I can almost guarantee it. There's some self thing going on, something that needs to be let go of. And I mean, now it's time. It's time to open up the hand and release it to him and say, I'm going hard after you. That's all it takes is turn to him, let go of the junk and start going after him. Please use your shed blood on the cross to forgive me of my sin. Please build a relationship with me. I am ready to go after you. I want to totally turn from whatever it is I'm in and experience you. No more quenching, no more grieving. It's time to start listening to the whisper of the Almighty in our lives. Now that's power. There was a young man who was given a car by his grandfather. It was a piece of junk, but he could clean it up, you know. And so he worked hard on this thing, cleaning it up, fixing the body, fixing the interior, getting it looking nice. And there was this big family gathering that was going on, and he decided to bring the car over and show it off to the family and to grandpa. And so he got there a little late, and the whole family's in the house, and he pulls up with this car, he gets it there, and he kind of walks up, and he's just dripping with sweat as he walks in. And the grandfather's like, it's great to see you, but what's going on? Are you okay? And, and he says, yeah, I'm okay. It's just kind of hard to get the car here. Why? It's hard to push that car. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And he said, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know where the key is. I'm, he said, the key is in the glove compartment. So they went out and they opened up the glove compartment and just, and fired up the engine. And it's running. How much easier it is to have a car move from point A to point B when there's an engine, Right? Have you ever tried to push a car just over the little rise on the road? You know what I'm talking about? Like you just have to push it to the other side and you have to get over this little and you can't even get it barely up over that. You need two or three guys to get it. Can you imagine? How much are we like that with our lives where we're just muscling it? 
We're just trying to push our way through. And the key sits in the glove compartment. The relationship with God Almighty. Power at work in your life. The actual engine of who you are. Being fired up by who he is. That's how to live life. Totally satisfied. There's no other way. That's how. I'm telling you, you're going to find yourself sweating a lot in life if you're not going after a God-honoring, God-centered, God-empowered life with him. It's about him pouring into you and propelling you forward. Listen to him. Listen to his whisper. Let him speak. Let him change. What is it he's asking you to go after? What is it that he's asking you to let go of? He's teaching you and he's bringing to remembrance. Are you in the word so that you're able to know this word so it can be reminded? Again, like I said before, remember, this isn't about some little magic moment we have with God where we just say, okay, tell me. And then he goes, okay, here it is. And then he just restates what's in scripture or maybe even tells you extra biblical stuff. That's not what we're talking about. What we're told here is that he teaches you of his word. What we're told is that he reminds you of his word. It's time to be in his word so that he can impact us by teaching and reminding. This is where the authority is. This is where the power is. This is where the change is. It's in knowing his word and having him illuminate to us what we need to go after. God at work in us. Amen? God at work in us. Amen? We serve a God who's willing to be at work in us. Is that something great or is that something, forget it, I don't want that. It's something we have to make a real decision on to go out and say, I want to know the Almighty and I want him to change me for a lifetime. So first, it's about his presence. Second, it's about his power. And third, it's about his peace. Peace. Experience what only God can give. Experience what only God can give. Let's just look right away here. He starts out in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. That's kind of clear, right? Peace I'm giving you. He walks over and he says, here, and he dumps peace. You get peace. Here you go. Here's some peace. Now, so great, we're done. We have peace. That's awesome. What does he say right after it? He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's saying, I'm giving you peace. You still have a job. I'm giving you peace, but you have to let not. You have to make sure that you don't grip the things of this world and freak out. I'm giving you something the world can't give you. I'm giving you something that lasts for all eternity. The peace I'm giving you, it affects the inside and works to the outside. It's inside out type working. The peace the world gives, it's all about the externals and it'll eventually affect the internals, they hope. That's world, the world's kind of peace, okay? It's the, let's get circumstances all calmed down. Let's get comfortable. Let's get all that outside stuff, okay? So that inside I can go, now I'm relaxed. You know what I mean? That's the world's peace, okay? God's peace. No matter what's going on outside, I'm working from the inside out. And I'm affecting you in ways that you can only have from the Almighty. Peace. God's peace. What does peace mean? It means healthy relationship, no angst or tension. It means no judgment. 
It means you're standing in a spot where God is simply welcoming you into his presence and saying, let me lavish upon you. Let's enjoy life together. It means having a relationship with him that is so satisfying, you could do nothing other than say, praise be to God. Now this is amazingly fulfilling. Peace, I'm handing it to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, don't take your eyes off of me. Don't put them on the problems. They're too small. Get them on me. I'm massive. I didn't do this in the first service, but remember this one. Take your thumb, put it way out ahead of you. Do this with me. Put it way out ahead. See how you can see your thumb and you can see me and all that? Now pull your thumb right into your right eye and close your left eye or vice versa. What do you see? See your thumb? A lot of us live life this way. The problem is right here, you know? And everybody we see, we're like, hey, let me tell you about my problem. You wouldn't believe what I'm going through. Look at this thing. Look at that. It's amazing what my problem is. You know what I mean? That's how we live life. Where we're talking about this instead of talking about him. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to be so centered on the peace he gives, so centered on the power he provides, so centered on his presence that we are in awe of who he is. The circumstance becomes nothing because I'm holding it out here. Jesus Christ is right here with me. Now that's a promise. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, how could we lose that peace? You know, he gives us a little bit of an answer here. How can we lose the peace? Gives us three statements. First of all, he says in verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away. I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the father for the father is greater than I. He's saying, if you loved me, you'd have been happy. You're you're self-absorbed. That's what he's saying. Get off of you. You'd have been happy right now in what I just said. But this was all about you. How do we lose his peace? We become all about me. That's one way to lose it. The second step that you can lose peace in is the second challenge he gives to him here. Um, He says right after it, Now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer um, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's basically saying, look, you have to get the eternal view. We're shutting down in the moment here. You're all too temporal. It's time to think eternal, vast, large, God plan. You're all too much about the moment. Selfishness, temporal, it's going to kill that peace. You got to get off the selfish. You got to get off the in the moment. It's going to hurt you. And then the last thing he says, verse 31, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. It's about obedience. How do I grab hard onto peace? Get rid of the selfishness. Get rid of it. Get rid of the temporal. Start thinking eternal. And then lastly, just obey him with all you got. Run hard after him. A relationship. I'm telling you, a lot of you are sitting here going, I don't know. I'm not sure I could grasp that. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it is this easy. Obey him. When you get in line with him, you will be amazed at how his authority starts becoming real, about how his presence starts becoming something that is satisfying. It's not fake. It's not a joke. It can be totally, totally satisfying. Let's equate it to the Antique Roadshow. I love the Antique Roadshow. The rest of my family can't stand it. So every time I turn it on, you get the, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm like, yes, 
So I'm watching the Antique Roadshow, right? I love watching these people just walk through the lines. And, I, you know, most of them just have absolute junk. And they're carrying things that weigh like 4,000 pounds, you know? They're like, this is my armoire, you know? <laughs> like, is it worthwhile? You know, you brought that thing in like that? You've got to be kidding me. So these guys look and evaluate, right? And after they get done with all this evaluation and they're taking drawers out and flipping them upside down and everything, then they begin a little explanation. Now, before I tell you what it's worth, were you aware that they had replaced all the metal up and down the front of this? And you're like, oh, he got ruined. It's not valuable, you know? No, I wasn't aware of that. And they go through and, did you know they changed this and they touched that? And no, I didn't know that. And they get done and they're like, yeah, this is worth 40 bucks, you know? And then it's like, boop, boop, boop right? You know what I mean? It's like armoire, $40, you know? But every once in a while, you get those moments where the guy is talking it through with them and, and you haven't touched the finish. No. And nothing has been changed here. No. Do you notice the corners and how these are so well treated even after 300 years? Yeah, I do see that. We've been very careful with it. And if you flip this upside down, I'm going to be so gentle with it. And he turns it upside down. Do you see this mark? Yeah. That's the rarest mark you could ever. And you're like, oh, this is going to be good, you know? And you get this, you know, it's like armoire, $475,000. And you're like, jackpot! You know, the guy got it. You know what I mean? I'm telling you, that's, one of, that's what we're just hearing here. It says, peace of Christ. Completely worthwhile. Priceless. Total value. And everybody else is walking around with this, the world's peace. Trying to control circumstances so they can feel a little more comfortable. Worthless. Grab onto the peace that Jesus Christ offers. It's the most satisfying, most thrilling, most impacting, most life-changing, most valuable thing that you can experience. Obey him with all you got. Run after him with all you've got. Experience his presence, his power, and his peace. Now that's a plan for satisfaction guaranteed.